Chapter 15 Alicia ran out the door and threw herself into my arms when I walked up the front steps. Are you okay, Fitz? Are you okay? Let me look at you. I turned my head so she could see my stitches. Oh my god, what happened? Somebody cold-cocked me, like I told you on the phone. I was on that stakeout, and I've got my cell phone and they've got my Glock. In spite of that, odds are good I'll live. I smiled down at her. She draped my arm around her shoulder, and we walked back into the house. So, am I still in the doghouse over Marco? Yeah, we need to talk about that. What if I hadn't come over before this assault happened? The kid would have been alone for nearly the whole damn night. Uh, my sister Katie said, Your little sister's world was 100 times different than Marco's. Her kids had all their aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, all in the same neighborhood. If anything bad happened, they had some place to go. Marco doesn't. And when there's trouble, he's going to make decisions based on his stupid little 13-year-old brain. Combine that with his crackhead mother and the lowlifes she associates with, and you see where I'm going with this. I hadn't thought of it like that. Yeah, all right, it won't happen again. I believe you, but you're in no shape to talk about anything rationally. How about you call it a night and head upstairs? Together? Ever hopeful, aren't you, Fitz? You're the one who told me that it was a no-go until I've talked to Connor. You can't blame a guy for trying. What are you going to do, go home? The pain pill I'd been given at the ER started to kick in. It was getting groggy. You're not ready to take care of yourself. I'll crash on the couch. Don't worry about me. She steered me toward the stairs and up to my bedroom. I flopped across the bed and moaned as my head hit the mattress. The room began to spin. I felt Alicia remove my shoes and lift my legs onto the bed. I reached drunkenly for her and babbled something. Alicia pushed my hands back and shushed me. Go to sleep, Fitz. It's two in the morning. Sometime in the night I managed to get my clothes off and get under the covers. Just before dawn, I thought I felt the blankets beside me lift up, and Alicia, wearing one of my Cavaliers t-shirts, slipped into bed next to me. I remember rolling over and drawing her close. I ran my hand from her silken panties down to her plump, naked leg and back up. I thought I heard her sigh contentedly. When I woke up Thursday morning, the only thing in my arms was a pillow. The blankets on the other side of the bed were disturbed about as much as they were any other lonely night of the week. Had she been there, or had I dreamed the whole thing up? My head throbbed as I walked gingerly down the stairs. The outline of someone's head was still visible on the couch pillow, and the afghan was still tussled. So maybe I was dreaming. Is that you, Fitz? Alicia called from the kitchen. Yeah, it's me. I followed the scent of coffee into the kitchen and sank into a chair. Alicia was wearing a black turtleneck sweater and a black skirt. She had socks over her black tights and a pair of matching boots set by the kitchen door. She set a plate of scrambled eggs and nearly burned bacon in front of me, followed by a cup of coffee. Thanks. What time is it? 8.30. What? Where's Marco? Anna Maria's funeral's at 10. I jumped up from the table. I need to get to the office. Mary Margaret doesn't know what's... Sit down, Fitz. I took Marco to school this morning. I also called Mary Margaret. She's at the office, holding down the fort just fine. I'm taking the day off to make sure you don't have a concussion, and to take you to Anna Maria's funeral. I need to talk to Mia Zitkowski. I need to tell her what happened to me last night. You need to eat breakfast first. You can call Mia after the funeral service. Okay, okay. I sat down again and took a bite of eggs. So, did you sleep well? 
She poured herself a cup of coffee and sat down beside me. She reached over and touched my arm and smiled at me. I smiled back. For the first time in a long time, I felt like love was once again within my grasp. I could see us having breakfast like this every morning, heading off to our respective careers with a kiss in the driveway. I'd come home to her every night, and she would come home to me. Alicia would fit right into the Fitzhugh Sunday Marinara Fest with my family. I could see her laughing with Katie or sharing stories with AJ or Polly. Everyone would love her. Too bad Ma and Dad would never get the chance to meet her, but I know they would smile down from wherever they were. Nothing of that could happen until Alicia told her fiancé the truth. The feeling of her beside me in bed wouldn't leave. I had to ask. Yeah, I had the damnedest dream, though. Dreamt you got in bed with me in the night, but this morning I woke up and the blankets weren't disturbed. Only thing I had next to me was a pillow. Alicia blushed and looked into her coffee. Huh, I'd say you were full of pain medication. And wishful thinking. She stood up sharply and turned away from me to refill her coffee cup. I thought I caught a small smile. Well, maybe I hadn't been dreaming after all. Have you uh, talked to probate boy yet? She set the coffee pot down sharply, but still didn't turn around. No. Alicia, I'm having a hard time waiting on you to make a decision. I called him last night. He didn't call me back. He was probably out drinking. When he calls me back, I'll tell him. You promise? Promise. Ninety minutes later, we slipped into a pew at the back of St. Rita's Catholic Church. I'd been an altar boy here with my brothers in our childhood. My parents had been married here, and my siblings. As always, I'd been the difficult son. Gracie and I got married at City Hall. I'd watched as a young officer when the entire Fawcettville Police Department turned out for my father's funeral. Then that dark and ghastly day when we buried Gracie following her battle with breast cancer. Six months after that, the Fitzhugh clan was back, filling the front three rows to celebrate our mother, Maria Galeone Fitzhugh, and her life of devotion to the Catholic Church. Now we're here again. Anna Maria's casket was mercifully closed. I stopped for a brief second and laid a hand on the casket's cold, dark wood. How could someone like Anna Maria, such a squeaky, clean public reputation, have such dark secrets in her personal life? How did she get into something as dark as Kinbaku bondage? And why? Did I really know her at all? Right at that moment, I thought not. Alicia and I paid our respects to Carlotta, Joe, and their children, and Vivian, her daughter Sophie, and Vivian's significant other, Sonny, who looked like an extra right off the set of The Sopranos. Hugh, my old high school football buddy, came from California alone, stood to hug me. His eyes were filled with tears. I scanned the congregation, finding Barnes sitting on the aisle about halfway down. I nodded as I caught his eye. He returned the gesture almost imperceptibly. I knew why he was here. He'd scanned the face of every man and woman, looking for behaviors that could indicate they knew something about how Anna Maria died. Of course, after working through the coded journal, he was no doubt wondering if some of these folks were Anna Maria's clients. I know I was. I didn't see the mayor or his wife. Then again, it would seem odd even for a publicity whore like Pete Zetkowski to try to push his way into a family funeral, especially if he had something to do with her death. Alicia and I walked down the center aisle, searching for an empty space on a pew. Hello, Mr. Fitzhugh. 
A tall woman in a trim navy blue suit stepped in front of me. Her face was obscured by a wide, dramatic hat. All I saw were blood-red lips standing out on porcelain skin, stretched in a nearly feral smile. Matching navy gloves ran nearly to the woman's elbows, and she braced a matching clutch between her full, round breast and upper arm. With her right hand, she fingered the lapel of my suit, rubbing the wool suggestively between her thumb and forefinger. Alicia raised her eyebrows but kept walking. She sank sharply into a pew a few rows back and propped her chin up on her fist, glaring at me. Hello, Rosario. It's good to see you here. Is it? Yeah, it is. It's nice that you come to pay your last respects to your clients. May I see you for a few moments? Sure. She slid an arm through mine, and we walked back down the aisle and into the sacristy. Funeral home ushers opened the church doors for us, and we stepped out into the cold February air. Rosario pulled a cigarette from her blue clutch purse and handed me her lighter. What's up? I lit her cigarette, shielding the flame with my hand. I have something for you. She inhaled deeply, forcing the smoke back out through her nose. Oh yeah? I couldn't help staring at the obscenely red circle on the cigarette filter. She gestured for me to follow her to the side of the church. Opening her clutch, she pulled out my cell phone and handed it to me. How the fuck did you get this? It was found outside my office, along with some of your business cards. No, it wasn't. Whoever decided to cold cock me took it, along with my cash and my gun. When I came to, the only thing on the ground were the business cards and my own blood. Is that what it was? I did see the discolored snow this morning when I pulled in. I'm so sorry to hear that. Where's my gun, Rosario? If you don't have it, you know who does. Again, my apologies, but I never found any weapon. What the hell goes on at that office at night? I've followed Pete Zitkowski there twice. First time I was followed home and somebody pulled the cables off my car battery. Second time I wake up in the slush with my skull split open. You know who has my gun, Rosario. Don't bullshit me. She drew deeply on her cigarette and dropped it onto the pavement, grinding it into a brown pulp beneath her stiletto, as if it were something she'd like to do to me. She spoke through a wild smile. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. But it seems a little strange to me that you're looking for those same services, especially when you make your money helping divorce lawyers cast judgment on what people do behind closed doors. Excuse me? She stepped closer. Her voice dropped to a hostile whisper. I checked your phone, Fitz. Or should I say, John? I don't expect my clients to be completely honest with me when they first contact me, but I do expect a little better story than a high school football coach. So, you're Mistress Delaney. Why doesn't that surprise me? She stepped even closer, her lips to my ear. We all have chapters in our lives we don't want read out loud, Fitz. Games we won't play except when the lights are out. And in a town where there's lots of money and lots of lonely men, there are lots of games to play in the dark. I managed to slip back into the church and down next to Barnes just before the service started. I showed him my phone surreptitiously. He raised his eyebrows and nodded. I'll talk to you after the service. With a curt nod, I slipped from his pew and back to Alicia, who shot me a dirty look as she crossed her arms and legs. Who was that? She asked loud enough for the folks around us to hear. The organ began to play, its comforting sounds swelling through the sanctuary. 
I'll tell you later. I looked behind me for Rosario's wide hat. She and her dramatic millinery were nowhere to be seen. Instead, I caught the eye of another woman. It was Peace from the knitting store. Like everything around her, she was dressed in black, making the blue streak in her hair stand out even more. She lifted her hand just below her pert nose and waved discreetly. I smiled at her, and she kissed the air. I turned away from her as the priest, who had been sitting in the presider's chair behind the altar, stood and invited the congregation to do likewise. As he droned on about Jesus' victory over sin and death, my mind shifted to the twists and turns that had brought us here. I had a number of pieces, but still didn't know how they all fit together. It looked like Anna Maria and Rosario were in business together, running a sex club. How in the hell did that start? Was the mayor a client or a partner? Either one would be political suicide, should anyone find out. Was he the one threatening Anna Maria? And why would he come after her? Unless she was the one who threatened him first.